Good morning. My name is Doug Brown, and I am the moderator of this church. It is my responsibility to preside over all events involving matters of public controversy <clears throat> in order to ensure proper respect and decorum. Today's sermon certainly qualifies as such an event. This is an auction sermon in the form of a duel between our two ministers, Reverend Nathan Dietering of Holliston, Massachusetts, and Reverend Heather Concannon of Boston, Massachusetts. You can applaud. This sermon was awarded to the highest bidders at our phenomenal church auction earlier this year. Those bidders were Jim and Linda Stetson, and they are here in the audience. I would ask Jim and Linda if you could please stand to be recognized. There's Jim. There's Linda. <clears throat> Thank you, Jim and Linda, for your support of our church. There is another auction sermon in the spring, so watch out for that as well. The topic for today's duel was chosen by Jim and Linda, and it is truth in an age of alternative facts. This ministerial duel is sponsored by the Commission on Ministerial Duels, <clears throat> a nonpartisan, nonprofit, and non-creedal organization. This commission has chosen the format and the rules for this duel, and they have been agreed to by both ministers. There will be four segments, each involving a question asked by me. Each candidate will then have two minutes to respond to each question. Timing will be strictly enforced. The ministers will then have the opportunity to offer closing arguments. One important disclaimer, the opinions expressed by each minister <laughs> are certainly not those of the church and are not necessarily those of each minister as well. I ask the audience to please remain silent and hold your enthusiasm and applause for your minister of choice until the very end to ensure we can all focus on the brilliant words the ministers are saying. One final word before we begin. Some have expressed concern that this is an unfair fight. After all, one minister is far taller and more experienced than the other. Any such fears were put completely to rest when we polled the choir with this question. We asked, if this were a real boxing match between the ministers, who would win? They unanimously selected Heather. So we shall proceed. Now, without further ado, I asked the choir if they could please share with us an anthem reflective of the epic nature of this occasion.
Thank you, choir. Reverend Nathan, Reverend Heather, welcome. Welcome to uh, what I suspect will be the first in perhaps many ministerial duels. You both know the rules. You both know the rules. Uh, the order will be determined by a coin toss. And Reverend Heather, you will select heads or tails. It is tails. <laughs> Reverend Nathan, you will go first. You will have two minutes. I will give you a 10 second warning by a tap on your shoulder. And you will know you're out of time when you hear the sound of a quacking duck followed by a gong. Reverend Nathan, audience, I warned you already. You have two minutes starting now. Don't start, it doesn't start. That's true, I will not take that from your time. I do have to ask the question, don't I? We might have to get a new moderator for next time. Reverend Nathan, segment one, question one. What is truth? Heather, to quote Colonel Jessup from a movie you have never seen. Truth, you want the truth, minister, you can't handle the truth. And Heather, to quote Stephen Colbert from a show you have probably never watched uh, called The Colbert Report, we don't live in an age of truth. We live in an age of truthiness. And what truthiness means is that what I say is right and nothing anyone else says could possibly be true. Because not only that, I feel it to be true is that I feel it to be true. So there's not only an emotional quality, there is a selfish quality as well. Friends, Heather, this much is true. Truth is being caught, muzzled, squelched, and squished. Truth is being captured and contained. Truth is under fire and on fire. Amen? Because in an age of spin and spam and tailored news feeds and filtered Facebookery, we are, opinions and perspective are now cast as gospel fact, and what were once outright lies are reported as alternative facts. Because listen, a person cannot believe things about the evidence of climate change. A person can't have a point of view about inauguration-sized crowds. A person, not even a pope, can hashtag resist the truth that the earth revolves around the sun. That's a Galileo reference. A person can't believe in the literal truth of the Bible without ignoring the truth that the earth says science is older than the Bible's 6,000-year estimate. A person can't believe in a good, all-loving God without explaining the fact that good things happen to bad people. And a person's tweet that says fake news does not make that true news fake just because it reports true things you do not like. Truth can't be described or explained or captured, or relativized, or tweaked. It exists without us, and it is not dependent on us. Truth just is. <laughs> Reverend Heather, what is truth? 
You have two minutes. Thank you, moderator. So I'd like to ask you some questions about some commonly held truths. First, how many colors are in a rainbow? And how many prior, primary colors of light are there? And they are red, green, blue. No, those are primary colors of paint. Light, red, yellow, blue. Red, green, blue. Okay, next question. What does the Big Dipper constellation look like? It's like a ladle, right? Like seven stars and then like three, right? We can all picture it? Okay, do we agree that these answers are true? Okay, great. Case one, colors. The human eye has three photoreceptors that each get excited by a different hue, red, green, or blue light, and they move at a different wavelength. And with those three photoreceptors, we can see every color in the spectrum, millions of colors. Dogs have two photoreceptors, green, uh, blue, and yellow, making it difficult for them to see green, yellow, and red objects. Mantis shrimp, however, have 12 photoreceptors, begging the question, are they seeing hues that we humans don't even know exist? When they look at a rainbow, can they actually see the ultraviolet and infrared lights that we don't see? So how many colors does a rainbow have? A dog, a human, and a mantis shrimp would have very different answers. Okay, constellations, the Big Dipper. They are different lengths away from the Earth, meaning that if the Big Dipper looks like a ladle here on Earth, anywhere else in the universe, those seven stars will take a very, very different relationship to one another. And that we are standing only here on Earth where it looks like the Big Dipper. So it's a matter of perspective, not ultimate truth. Truth, my friends, is relative. Thank you, Reverend Heather. You will be next. Uh, we will change the order. And our next question is, how do we find truth? So our fourth and fifth graders are studying the Bible this year in religious education. And why, some people ask me, including the fourth and fifth graders, why are we UUs studying the Bible? Well, I tell them, in part because we came from the Christian tradition, as we talked about and in part because this is a way that humans have been making meaning for millennia. But I don't believe any of these stories, they tell me. They aren't true. And what I told our Bibelodian class at the beginning of this year was that it doesn't need to have happened for it to contain a piece of the truth. I told them I love the Harry Potter stories, and I know they aren't real. I know they, aren't, they don't exist, Hogwarts doesn't exist, but I know that they're true because I believe that the stories are stories that tell some real truths about love and courage and friendship and the fight between good and evil. And so we look to our history to find the truth, and we ask ourselves what lasting truths, not little, literal truths, not literal truths, but lasting truths can we find. But we also look to the future and ask ourselves what truths have been be, ha, are yet to have been revealed to us. UU theologian James Luther Adams famously said that we believe that revelation is not sealed, meaning the world is continually changing and we are evolving not only as a species and our ideal, ideas are evolving, but the very nature of truth itself is evolving with us as the world changes. 
And I think about how widening our circles and hearing the truths of people who have different experiences from us, whose truths might run counter to our truths, can push us to evolve our understanding of the truth. And I think about how in my lifetime, we've grown in our understanding of gender not, gender not as male or female binary, but to be a spectrum. And there are words that describe people's lived truths as our understanding of truth evolves and as we understand that revelation is not sealed. Reverend Nathan, how do we find truth? <laughs> truth is not some little puppy with sad eyes and whimpering, hoping that we, the big humans, will find it and bring it back home, okay? Truth just is. It doesn't need us. It does not depend on us. But let's, let's assume we want to find it because you're tired of the squishy words that Heather pronounces, <laughs> like opinions and emotions and context and that ugh, phrase. <laughs> Truth is relative. Let's, let's assume you want to find it. A quick story. Last Sunday, I went down to Providence, Rhode Island, to the First Unitarian Church of Providence to give the charge to the congregation on the occasion of the installation of my friend Liz Lerner. The pomp and the pulpit of that church is ridiculous. It is like 45 feet high. There's a separate door and staircase that leads off to the top, giving the impression that nothing but the truth ever gets spoken from that place, including from the preacher. And I was sitting next to the chancellor of Brown University. You impressed? And he says, where are you from? I say, First Parish in Sherburne. He says, the First Parish in Sherburne where truth emanates like the radiant sun from the pulpit? <laughs> and I said, that's the one. He says, you're up next. <laughs> so the choir's putting their finishing flourish on the anthem. The whole congregation is waiting for moi. And I leave the chancellor's side and I proceed to go up through the door that leads to the pulpit, except I open the door and turn right and find myself outside on the street behind the church. <laughs> so I go back in and I check another door, which is locked, and I check another door and there's brooms there. <laughs> until I go back where I came from and the chancellor's pointing to my right and he says, there's another door which I open and begin to ascend the pulpit. Finding truth is like that, wrong turns, wrong doors. We have to stay humble and keep looking. Reverend Nathan, now it's your turn. And the third segment and the third question. Why does truth matter in church? So friends, guess what? In June, I will celebrate my 16th year of ordained Unitarian Universalist ministry, 15 of which I've spent with you. And at my ordination in Lincoln, I was reminded of what the Episcopal priest, Barbara Brown Taylor, said about how our congregations, all of you listen to Heather and I with the same ears as you listen to politicians, salespeople, and the news media. I want you to remember that I was ordained in the year of 9-11 and that my first ever sermon was given the Sunday after 9-11. And I was reminded at that ordination how beginning then and maybe ever since, we have been living in the aftermath of a broken covenant between language and truth. My mentor said, the abuse of language and the abuse of truth is like living in a giant hairball of our time, he said to me. And that's so... That hairball is huge now. So Roger said to me, uh, 
what I think we need from ministers at my ordination, he said, is a promise that we will use words that we mean and that we mean what we say. Straight talk from the pulpit, he said, Nathan. No hype, no hyperbole, because you do not grow new ears when you walk into the door. You deserve, he said, the right to decide for yourselves whether we look as if we live in the same world that you do and whether or not we are telling our truth about the world that we all live in together. He said, what I owe you is old-fashioned honesty, even when it is painful. Honesty about our faith and what we believe, what I believe and what I don't believe, and honesty about what I see going on out in the world. In other words, we owe you, I owe you words that I have dug up with my own hands and my own life experience, and I've brought back to you about my own encounters with God and with love. I try to live up to those words every single moment with you. Reverend Heather, why does truth matter in church? So in my house growing up, we had a rule. Before you could say something, you had to ask yourself three things. Is it true? Is it necessary? And is it kind? And a good guideline was that it should meet two of those three with a yes. <laughs> Surprise, right? But sometimes we say things that are true and kind, though not strictly necessary. Like the junior and senior youth group did an amazing job with the haunted house that last night. Sometimes we say things that are true and necessary, though not necessarily kind. I know it hurts to hear this, but I'm really struggling with our relationship right now. Sometimes we say things that are kind and necessary, but not 100% true. I love this dinner you cooked. <laughs> I don't hold truth as the highest value in relationship or in community. I'll be honest. And I believe that there is such a thing as too much honesty and truth being used in a mean way. Because truth doesn't encompass the fullness of our lives or our relationship. Truth is a tool toward love and compassion. It's a tool on the road toward building beloved community. But truth is not the end goal. And sometimes pursuit of ultimate, capital T, truth can easily become unfeeling dogma that loses its humanity. Not to mention that truth is relative. Let's take immigration, for example. People have crossed into the United States territory without authorization when it is against US law to do so. Fact. The border wall was purposely constructed so that more people would die in the desert. Fact. People leave their homes because home is the mouth of a shark. Fact. And all there are are stories, and all these stories are factual. And that's, but the facts are irrelevant unless we find some meaning in them. And that's where truth is. Truth is the process of making meaning around facts or events, the process of making meaning which is distinctly human and leads us to relationship and covenant. So how does this interpretation of truth serve love? Reverend Heather, the last and final question in the fourth segment before we get to closing arguments is yours. And the question is, what happens when truths collide? So the first step in any argument is to figure out what happened? What are the facts? And often this is the point where people discover that they don't even share the same story of what happened. 
let alone the meaning that they've made around it. Sometimes my own perception of reality can get very clouded by my feelings, and what I tell myself sometimes is, Heather, feelings are real, but they don't always tell the truth. The way that we perceive reality doesn't mean that it is actually the way things are. I need to remind myself of this when I'm having all sorts of emotions, from anger to anxiety. Feelings are real, but they don't always tell the truth. My truth is my truth, but it is not the truth. My truth is shaped by many things, my perspective, the limits of information I have, my memory, my social location, other things that have happened in my life, the stories I tell myself and the stories that I've been told, my culture and gender and race and age. So when truths collide, I do well to remind myself that my truth is my truth, and that in a free and responsible search for truth and meaning, as our UU faith calls us, true, calls us to, it means that we may end up in different places, that we may not all end up at the same truth, and that's okay. That responsible and faithful seeking can lead us down different paths. And I try to remind myself that my access to truth is limited by my own humanness, which is okay because I can still work to get a greater understanding of truth by understanding other people's truths, to paint a fuller picture, not just from my perspective, but from more and more and more perspectives. And by not seeking truth, I can seek meaning and relationship instead. Thank you, Reverend Heather. Reverend Nathan, what happens when truths collide? What happens? Sermon duels happen. <laughs> 2016 election happens. Fights happen. Salem witch trials happen. Labels of heretic and burning at the stake happens. Wars happen. Church schisms happen. Pilgrim Church leaving this building in 1842 to make another church down the hill happens. Um, Unitarian Universalism happens. Thanksgiving family free-for-all fights happen. <laughs> Winners and losers happen. Scorched earth happens. Take no prisoners happen. History written by the victors happens. Listen, Heather. <laughs> Martin Luther may have been an Augustine monk before he got feisty with his hammer and his nails, but he said, peace if possible, truth at all costs. And Jesus is said to have said, I did not come to bring peace, but instead a sword. And I want us also to remember the great uh, magnet I have on my fridge at home that says, do not go to bed angry, stay up and fight. <laughs> Which is to say, when, truth, when truths collide, or to put it more accurately, when our perception of truth collides, our ability to love and to listen to those we collide with is lost. And the question is, do you care? Do we think that our fights with each other help us get us closer to the truth, or... Do we think that we're already right and our goal in the fight is just to prove how delusional and dumb our opponent is? The second option is way more fun. It's way more satisfying, but maybe it has us opening wrong doors and getting lost on the way to truth when we move. And now it is time for our closing arguments. The ministers will choose the order 
And the closing question is this. So what does this all mean? So I'll confess, I'm actually not that good as, at owning my truth as my truth. I actually really, really struggle with it. My sister and my mom will tell you that I like to think I'm always right and that I usually am. So, <laughs> But I learned a tool a few years ago, which is when I'm frustrated with what I perceive another person to be doing, to frame the story to myself and to them as, hey, look, the story that I'm telling about what is happening is this. Can you help me to understand if that's actually what's going on here? Which has been very helpful because still, I'm really not that great at owning my truth as my truth. Which is why I need church, because I need to practice it as much as anyone. I need to practice how to do this, how to live in a pluralistic world, how to let myself be wrong, how to seek truth and not be sure of it before I've started a conversation, how to live in a world with multiple truths and multiple narratives and a world of diversity of ideas and identities and personalities and humanness. And I need to be reminded and I need to be humbled that I'm not always right, as much as I like to think I am. And that actually the more people that we pull into the narrative, the more close to truth we can get. And that being right isn't always as important as being in relationship. I once had a good friend to me say, say, say to me, Heather, in this moment you can be right and you are, or you can be in relationship. And we need to choose to be in relationship. But being reminded that again and again in community, we can choose to prioritize love and compassion and relationship in our search for meaning and truth. May it be so, and amen. When Jerry Garcia died in, I think, 95, right? Um, Heather, do you know who he is? Uh, <laughs> Grateful Dead, Heather. Uh, um, Ken Casey, a uh, great writer, spoke at his, his, his service, and he said these. He said, Jerry, you could be a sharp-tongued popper of balloons when you were so inclined. You were the sworn enemy of hot air and commercials, however righteous the cause or lucrative the product. Nobody ever heard you use that microphone Jerry as a pulpit, <laughs> no trendy spins, no brains of belief. And Jerry, you did not have any dogma, and you surely kept it tied up under the back of the porch where a smelly old hound dog belongs. It was the false notes, Jerry, that you didn't play that kept the lead line so pure. It was the words, Jerry, that you did not sing. So that's what I want us to do in relationship to this question. You know, what is truth? What happens when they collide? Where do we get it? I want us to keep our lead lines pure. Tell your truth. Tell it simply and clearly, but also with humor and with heart. And remember that we've all got a few dead ends and false doors and missed staircases up to the pulpit of our truth along the way. I want us to leave out the false notes, and I want us to stop, always stop before you say too much. Wise people know, after all, that when truth is in the mix, it is best to leave partly described.
what can only be partly described. This was a lot of fun.